Children's Church, which they'll find through this door to the left. And uh, you're welcome to go and you'll find your teachers there. Uh, After this service, just a reminder, we're having an all-church prayer meeting down in the fellowship hall. So uh, when this service is over, we'll be down there. Uh, It'll be just 45 minutes. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and then we'll, we'll move into the fellowship hall, sit down. You'll be amazed at how 45 minutes will pass and you'll be wishing we had more time to pray. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. It's something different. If you haven't uh, done that before, we'd welcome you to come. Will you open your Bible to Luke chapter 6? We want to read the Scripture this morning. If you're using one of the, the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 1020. Luke chapter 6. I'm going through a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're coming to the place where we have a sample of Jesus' teaching, a prolonged sample of Jesus' teaching. If you had a red-letter Bible, you'd see a lot of red ink in chapter 6. And uh, we're going to begin reading with verse 12, page 1020 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, that means sent ones or missionaries. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, For you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. So Jesus has chosen 12 people to be his special emissaries, his apostles. And uh, of course, the sort of people he has chosen are not great influential people. I guess there's probably one of the number who, uh, who was from a more prosperous family. I believe that Judas Iscariot was, uh, was a person with a, with a title. Uh, 
But uh, there are some regular, uh, normal, rather plain, not outstanding people. And yet, we read in the, in the next few verses about how he is, is coming and teaching, and there's sort of a summary of his ministry, multitudes of people crowding around him, wanting to be near him, drawn to him, power coming out from him, and Jesus is becoming an attractive person, an exciting person to be around. He's drawing multitudes, and great things are happening where he is. And I think that there's a danger that Jesus faced in his ministry. He constantly faced. And that was that people would get the wrong idea. You remember the place in, this, in the Gospels where they wanted to take and make him king by force. You remember when uh, he had to rebuke Peter because Peter was telling him, no, you're not going to the cross. You're not going to suffer. You're going to move ahead. You're going to become great. You're going to be a king. And, uh, and Jesus had to rebuke him. We keep getting the wrong idea about Jesus, even today. And so I think that this introduction to Jesus' sermon that we come to, uh, called the Beatitudes, from verse 20 down to verse 26, I think Jesus is helping to correct some of the wrong ideas that we tend to get about him. He was correcting the wrong ideas that his disciples might have been getting about how great they were and what, what important positions they had now being his apostles and emissaries. And uh, he was correcting the people who were all excited maybe for the wrong reasons. And I think he has a way of correcting us, helping us to see things clearly and see things right as we look in these verses. You know, I think that we tend to get the wrong idea about Jesus. It's like when I was a kid and um, started to discover that there was this really important person called the doctor. And uh, when something was wrong, my mother would take me to the doctor. And uh, you know what I, what I was really impressed about that the doctor would do is he would take this thing, you know, that's connected to his ears, and he would very quietly hold me and put this thing on my chest. And it just felt really good. And you know, have, have attention, sort of be the center of attention. for You know, I was a, you know, a bunch of siblings, and it was great to have you know, this important person, pay attention to me. And, uh, you know, I got the wrong idea. I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, my brother and I, we had the wrong idea about medicine. Uh, but we, we understood that, that medicine was something you took when you didn't feel good, and then you would get better. And so we would look in the medicine cabinet when we didn't feel like everything was just right. And kind of, you know, the first thing that, that was easiest for us to get was the toothpaste. And uh, so we would take some whenever we didn't feel well. And then we'd feel better. We, we didn't have a clear idea what medicine was all about. And uh, so we kind of went, went our own way. I, I love this little line I read in, in C.S. Lewis somewhere where he says that our ideas of God are probably about as accurate as my dog's idea of what I'm doing when I'm writing. And uh, we, we don't understand what Jesus is doing. We don't understand who we are and what we are and what we're for. But Jesus is trying to give us some perspective. So let's look at what he has to say here in the Beatitudes. We're going to focus on verses 20 through 26, known as the Beatitudes or the Blessings. And I think the main point 
that Jesus is making here is that the real things, the real valuable things in life never fade. The things that you really want, the things that you really want to get, the things that you want to hold on to and have and treasure, the things that really matter never fade. They endure forever. They last forever. And most of the things that we're always running after are things that evaporate in our hands. And so, uh, the, first, uh, the first thing he says is this blessing, and he pronounces the blessing on you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then he pronounces the woe down in, in, uh, in verse 24, the other side of the coin. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And so what Jesus is saying is that real riches never fade. And uh, the thing is that money, wealth, that is invested in something where it's losing, where it's, where it's running out, is not real wealth. If your house is standing behind an unstable levy, then you need to dump it and get something else. If your investments are losing instead of gaining, you need to dump them and get something else. If, if your uh, depreciation is, is overtaking the income, you need to get some better investments. Your riches are not what they need to be. And Jesus is saying that, uh, that this is the kind of riches that we have. What Jesus is doing here is he is not comparing the rich and the poor. He's not comparing the haves and the have-nots. He's comparing two different kinds of wealth, two different kinds of rich people. And uh, he's saying that you need to get the good kind of wealth. You need to be the better kind of rich people. And so uh, he's saying about the poor people that they are blessed not because they don't have anything, but they're blessed because of what they have. Look at verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You have the real riches. And the thing that makes those riches so good is that they endure forever. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort and uh, you're not going to have any more. And that's all you're going to get. And so you remember the story of Lazarus, the rich, man, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man had all of his good things in this life. And then comes the next. And are we ready for the life to come? And so all of this world's property, all the treasures that we have in this world decay. They are all prone to rot. They're all prone to being stolen, to being lost. Fortunes are lost in a moment. Uh, you know, you look at Enron. Ken Lay was this fabulously wealthy man, so successful, and uh, his, his trial is starting soon, and he's lost so much. Our wealth, it's like all that we have built up is beneath a creaking dam, and there's a massive deluge of judgment ready to pour out and sweep away everything that we have. All the things, all the treasures, all the riches of this world are, 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 are 
about to be lost and we need something better. We need to own the kingdom of God. We need a stake in the kingdom of God. And uh, James talks about this, this better perspective. Let me read to you what, what James says. He has a clear vision of what's valuable and what's not, of the true meaning of riches in this world. Listen to what James says in the, the book of James, chapter 1, 9 through 11. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun shines with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. All the treasures, all the things of this world will fade away when the sun rises, when the new day comes, when Jesus comes. And all the things that we heap up and treasure up and value in this world are going to fade away. But the one who may be poor in in terms of this world's things, but has Christ, is wealthy and will, will be lifted up in that day. So how about you? Are you rich in the things of this world only? Do you count all your wealth in terms of things that you can get in this life? Do you get all that you need without reference to Christ, without a need to wait for Him to return? Do you not have a longing for His return? If you don't know Christ, if all you have is in this world and in this life. Woe to you because all you're ever going to get is what you have now and it's all going to be taken away from you and you'll be left with nothing. All these beautiful cars, you know, all the beautiful houses, the clothes, the health, it's all going to be dust and that's all you'll be left with. But if you've found Christ, if you know Christ, if you have a hope in His kingdom, in His return, then you have riches that are worth so much more than anything that anyone possesses, that anyone has. No one even knows how good it is. You know, it's like the dog trying to figure out the... You've got true treasure. You know, I'm a jillionaire. I've got everything. And everyone I run into, if they want what I've got, well, either they're a jillionaire like me and they're a co-heir and they're, they're a beloved brother or sister. And so I don't mind sharing with them what I have. Or they're a tragic character running after monopoly money and not realizing that all of this is just going to burn. It's all going to end. And that they're going to be left with nothing. And so, you know, how, why do I care if they take these things of mine? So, we should have a different attitude. The true riches, the real riches, never fade away. Get those and be really rich. And so, Jesus uh, turns to the next uh, topic. There's, uh, there's a list of blessings here. There's sort of a progression. He moves on and speaks not just of having wealth, but of what wealth gives us. Actually, 
before he talks about what wealth gives us, he talks about what wealth takes away. What wealth takes away is hunger. It takes away thirst. It takes away longing and deprivation. Wealth takes away poverty. And so he talks about hunger. And uh, so look at verse 21. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And then down in verse 25. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Everything's going to turn around. Everything's going to be upside down. Everything's going to change when he comes. Real satisfaction never fades. Jesus is not just talking about some people are hungry and some people are well fed, but he's talking about two kinds of hunger and two kinds of satisfaction. So we are all familiar with hunger. We're all familiar with what it's like to be hungry. When you're hungry, well, maybe, maybe you're really not familiar. Maybe we've not experienced a lot of hunger. But when you're hungry, there's one thing that on your mind. There's one goal that you have. There's one drive. When you're thirsty, there aren't two things that you want to talk about. There's one. And uh, when you satisfy your hunger for food, when, you're, when you've gotten water, you know, then you've got to have security. You've got to have companionship. If you're lonely, there's one thing you think about. You've got to get the next. And the thing about people and people's desires and our effort to attain satisfaction in life is that there's always something more. And so I get all the food I want, I get the water, I get everything I need, and there's always something more. Well, I've got to have... Um, I've got to travel. And I travel, I've got to be at home. And then I'm bored, I've got to have excitement. And then I've got to have comfort. And then I've got to have work. And then I've got to have rest. And the whole time I've got to go back and eat all the time because I keep getting hungry again and thirsty again. And there's always another desire that I didn't even think of before. And life is a constant flood of desires. And many of us live our life doing nothing but seeking one thing after another to satisfy us and nothing satisfies there's a hunger that's deeper than all these things that can't be filled with anything we can get in this life. And so there are two kinds of hunger. There are two kinds of satisfaction. And uh, all of, all of the, the, the satisfaction we get in this life ends in frustration. It's the characteristic of man. It's the mark of humankind that we're never content, that we always want something more. And uh, so uh, Jesus is trying to help us get a better perspective. He's challenging the, our whole way of seeing things. Listen to one of his apostles, uh, the, the Apostle John, from uh, the, the, the book of First John, the letter of First John and chapter 2. He talks about... The, the, the way that we desire things and that our desires carry us uh, astray. They lead us astray. John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And he warns us that we need to desire the right things, the real things, the things that lead to lasting satisfaction. 
John 2, 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. This is what John says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. That's the thing about the world and its desires. It fades away. It passes away. And you're left with nothing. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. A new age is coming with better things, with solid satisfactions that really satisfy, that really endure, that really fulfill. God has gifts for us that make all the things that we've longed for, all the things that we've imagined, just look like movie trailers, just look like teasers. So what about you? Are you longing for, are you hungering for only created things? Are you satisfied with only the things in this life, the things that fade away? How terrible for you. Because you'll get them all and you'll be left with the deepest hunger that will never be satisfied. But if you've discovered the satisfaction of knowing Christ, if you've discovered, if you've taste the good, tasted the goodness of the age to come and you've, you've discovered something better, you've met Christ and you've found the, the water of life that really satisfies, the bread from heaven that gives life and you're never hungry again. Well, what does Jesus say here? He says, Blessed are you who hunger now. So don't get filled up with the appetizers, but save room for the main course. Don't get all absorbed with the things of this life, but keep your hunger for the life to come. Stay hungry. Um, you know, be, be filled with a longing and a desire. Be one of those who is hungry. And don't get yourself all absorbed and taken up and blunted with the things of this world and chasing the, the desires of this world. Keep your hunger focused on the things that truly satisfy. Um, you know, I think as a church, we, we face a danger of um, getting too focused on our desires, on worldly desires. You know, what's the church called for? What's the church for? We're for God's kingdom. We're for proclaiming the good news in the world. But what, what tends to happen? We tend to get focused on, on our desires and, and what we want. We, we turn the church into kind of a happy club instead of the church of Jesus Christ. I love the way that uh, J.I. Packer put it in, a, in, a, in an essay that he wrote. And he talks about... J.I. Packer is a theologian, a Church of England uh, theologian, evangelical. He teaches up at Regent College, I believe, in, in Canada. Uh, an older fellow... A dignified Englishman. Uh, some of his students introduced him to a, a, a new experience. They brought him to the health club and they introduced him to the hot tub. And he says, what a wonderful thing. You sit in it and the bubbles, you know, they massage you and it's all this sensuous, luxurious feeling and you feel all relaxed. And he said, it's a perfect metaphor 
This is what we're doing to our churches. This is what we're doing to Christianity. We're making it into hot tub religion. He says if we want to go the whole way, what we ought to do is just clear out the pews and put in hot tubs. And then we can come to church and really enjoy the, the feelings that we want to get and the happiness and the contentment and the enjoyment. Oh, let's, let's, let's stay hungry. Let's keep our edge. Let's, let's keep focusing on the kingdom and on the priorities of Christ, on the interests of Christ. Let's not turn toward hot tub religion. So real satisfactions never fade. And so we turn again from uh, what wealth takes away, it takes away our hunger, to what wealth gives, it gives joy. Wealth gives joy and satisfaction. Listen to what Jesus says, his next beatitude, in the end of verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And then down at the end of verse 25, woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And again, Jesus is not comparing those who laugh with those who weep, but he's saying that there are two kinds of joy. And the the real crucial difference between the two kinds of joy is that one is only temporary and it will leave you in misery. And the other one endures forever. And so take joy in the things that never fade away. Real joy never fades away. I love this poem in Ecclesiastes, uh, the beginning of the last chapter. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred, then... Man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the street. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground from which it came and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And then he echoes in Ecclesiastes his refrain, his summary of what life is like without God. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Vanity. Vanity. Life without God is vanity. All the joys and the satisfaction, all the pleasure in life is all going to fade away. It's all going to be gone. Everything that thrills, everything that excites, soon you won't be able to be excited about it. You know, the the taste of toast won't be as good And you'll complain they don't make bread like they used to. It's that you don't taste things like you used to. Everything in life, all the satisfactions, all the joys, they fade away. 
but there is a joy that endures forever. Have you found it? Do you know about it? Listen to what Peter says, another one of Jesus' apostles, in 1 Peter, in chapter 1. Let me read to you what, what Peter says. And uh, 1 Peter 1 and verses 3 through 9. He talks about this joy that's better than all the joy uh, of this life. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have, to, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come that your faith, which is worth more than gold, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter had experienced a joy better than anything the world could give. He was confident in it. And he knew that his fellow Christians had experienced this joy. That this is what flooded their souls with an inexpressible joy. Have you found that joy? Is all your joy in the things of this life? How sad for you. Because you'll be left with nothing, no joy. But have you found this joy in Christ? If you have, then... What does Jesus say? If you found Christ, what does he say? He said, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. You who have the real inexpressible joy, you can face down the emptiness of life. You can face the, the meaninglessness, the vanity of this life. You can face the fact that Food is never what it should be. Parties are never what they're meant to be. Marriage isn't what it ought to be. I'm not what I ought to be. Nothing I desire, nothing I do, nothing I am is what it ought to be. Everything comes short. And in the end, I'm going to die. I can face it because I have a better joy. You can be realistic. You know, it seems that Christians often want to run away from politics because they have this, we have this mindset that it's the eternal things that are more important and all the things of this world, they don't matter. And so politics is something of what? This world. So it doesn't what? It doesn't matter. But you know, Christians have something to contribute in politics that is of a tremendous value. And so we should get involved in politics. You know, you can't play the game unless you really know you're playing a game. And you can't keep your perspective and your idealism and your drive unless you realize that even when I lose, even when everything goes wrong, even though everything's a failure and everything comes short, yet I still have satisfaction, I still have joy, I don't depend on, on, on the political process to find happiness. 
I don't depend on courts and on the decisions of people in this world to make things come out right. I have a bigger perspective. You as a Christian, you have something to contribute in the public arena, something to contribute in the political process that other people don't have. Other people who only have this world and their whole life is wrapped up in what happens in the government and what happens in politics and what the courts decide. And it's ultimate for them. And it's so easy for them to become bitter and to become hard and to become calculating or ruthless or cynical because this is all there is. And you as a Christian, you have something to contribute that is so needed in, in the political arena. So let's not become too otherworldly. Real joy never fades away. If you've got it, then you can face down the emptiness of life. And then lastly, real, real honor never fades away. The worst thing about being poor is being abandoned. The great thing about being rich is being popular and having hot and cold running friends. Uh, if, but true honor never fades away. It doesn't fade away when the riches are lost. The love of honor is a trap. The love of what people will say about us, what people will think about us, it's a trap. This is why men work too many hours and ignore their families. This is why people spend money and get a house that's beyond their means. This is why uh, people clam up about gay marriage. Because they're worried what people will think, what people will say. This is why parents give their children too much TV and toys instead of time. Because we want them to say something nice about us. And uh, it's a trap. It leads us astray. Jesus talks about two kinds of honor here. He, uh, let's read uh, verse 22 and 23 uh, in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. True honor endures forever. Paul says, you know, the, the athlete, he strives and he disciplines himself. He works hard to win a wreath, a crown made of, made of leaves that would, would fade after a short time. It wouldn't endure but he works so hard to get that honor that is only for a time. But we for a crown that endures forever. So there is an honor for you who follow Christ, who live for Christ. You don't have it now, but you will have it. And it's the kind of honor you want to get from the one who is honorable, the one who remembers forever the one who gives real honor. Is all of your honor that in this world? How terrible for you. Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my word in this age, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of his holy angels. But if you've discovered 
Christ, if you have honor that you're seeking in Christ, then uh, don't get turned aside by the things of this world. You know, we read the story of, of Moses. And uh, there's, a, there's a guy who was concerned about what people would think of him, it seems. Uh, God appears before him in a burning bush. And he says, I have come down. I have heard my people's cry. Now go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And what does Moses say? Well, gee, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I, I've never been eloquent since I was young. And, uh, you know, I, my, my tongue, I'm slow of speech. And, um, you know, we, we, we just laugh at Moses. You know, Moses, come on, can't you get it? And, um, you know, Moses, look, don't worry about what people think of you. God is right in front of you, appearing to you and sending you. Come on, Moses, how thick can you be? But you know what? I do better than Moses. Um, I say not only, not only that I'm slow of speech and, gee, you know, they're going to think I'm stupid and what are they going to say? You know, I'm going to go there and that, what if they say, you, I don't believe anything you're saying? I mean, then I'm going to be all embarrassed. You know, I, I, I do all that. I do all that. But I also do all these other things. I say, gee, you know, I'm, I'm busy. You know, I've got these sheep. I've got to take care of these sheep. And I'm trying to get ahead. I, I want to get a little something and set it aside. You know, I, it, it's hard, you know, in this life. I've got to earn something. And then, uh, gee, you know, what am I going to eat on the way? You know, I'm going to miss all the food back home. I'm going to miss my wife. I'm going to miss my kids. I'm going to miss this place. I don't want to go back to Egypt. You know, it's, it's not a nice place. It's not satisfying there. And then I go even a step further and I say, you know what? I'm happy here. I don't want to do that. I, uh, how am I going to be happy if I go off and do that? And don't we, don't we have all kinds of excuses? The Lord Jesus Christ has appeared to us. And he's, he's appeared to us not in a burning bush, but in his grace and mercy and love. And he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. I, I have heard my people's groan and their cry. And I have come down and I'm sending you, now go. And uh, we start making our excuses. Here's a poem that I, uh, I was given when I was a, a college student. And uh, I've kept this, pa- this paper in my old Bible for all these years. I wanted to share this with you. It's very short. It's about getting perspective on life and uh, what really matters. I counted dollars while God counted crosses. I counted gains while he counted losses. I counted my worth by things gained in store. He sized me up by the scars that I bore. I coveted honors and sought degrees. He wept as he counted the hours on my knees. I never knew till one day by the grave How vain are the things that we spend life to save. Would you take your hymnals and turn to hymn 597? 597. 